So this morning I'm going to be speaking to you from a passage in Exodus. If you haven't been with us uh, over the last couple of weeks or if you're just visiting this morning, uh, we're in the midst of a series called uh, The Kingdom Revolution. Um, this is a different kind of revolution, uh, a revolution in how we understand revolutions, if you will. Um, this morning's text is from Exodus 33. And the title uh, I've given it is A Revolution of Identity. I think it's apt that we're going to be doing a baptism here this morning uh, because baptism is uh, one of the foundational places we can go to to find where our identity should be. Uh, but before we jump into that, um, I'm going to read this verse where we find Moses is having somewhat of a disagreement with God. And we often find ourselves in a place where, and I think particularly with this issue of identity, who am I, that sometimes it's a struggle between what God says and what we feel. We're going to jump from verse, uh, into verse 12. So one day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. Uh, you have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If this is true, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. To give you a little bit of context, if you go just a little bit back into uh, chapter 32, uh, we see the people of God... Um, so Moses has gone uh, up the mountain to hear from the Lord and you see the people of God turn to idolatry. They take the gold that they'd taken from the land of Egypt when they left um, and they uh, form it into uh, a false gods which they then worship. Moses comes down the mountain to find them in this... Um, uh, in this idolatrous worship. And so here, uh, as a consequence of that, God says, uh, go, get going into the land which I've promised you, but I will not go with you. He says, for you're a stubborn and rebellious people, and if I go with you, I'll most certainly destroy you. <laughs> you ever feel like that with your kids? Like, go to your room, because if you stay in here a second longer, I'm actually going to destroy you. I, if you, uh, uh, you may not have kids if you've never felt like that. Uh, here we have God is expressing to them in this verse uh, his frustration. They've done the wrong thing. And he said that he's no longer going to send his presence with them. They have been led till this point out of the land of Egypt and known uh, that the reason that they have come to that point is because of the presence of God. And so this is where we find Moses pleading with God to go with them. Who will you send with me? And the Lord replies to him, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. 
Even though not long before he said, I'm not going to go, Moses brings this request to him and God in his compassion and mercy says to Moses, fine, I'll come with you. But the crazy thing is Moses is so, he's so concerned at this point that God isn't going to go with him, that he continues to argue. Have you ever had an argument with someone and you've told them, like they, they've asked for something, you said, yes, I'll give it to you, but they're so busy still trying to give you the reason. Or like, I don't know, maybe it's just that my kids are a little unreasonable at times, but I'm like, I feel like I've already said you can have it and they're still arguing with me as to why they can have it. Um, he says, and then Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For the presence among us sets, uh, sets your people and me apart from all other peoples on earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. And Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make my goodness pass before you. I will call out uh, my name Yahweh and before you and I will show mercy to anyone I choose I will show compassion to anyone uh, for uh, I choose but you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live the Lord continued look stand near me on this rock as my glorious presence passes by I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind but my face will not be seen this is an interesting passage It's come to a point where Moses is so desperate for reassurance. He says, God, show me that your presence is going to come with me. He's so desperate to know he doesn't want to go without God. I don't blame him if you read the few passages before and the difficulties he has leading the people. And if you read into what um, happens in uh, the passages that come up, he needs God to go with him and he knows it. Here Moses wrestles with God like his ancestors, like, uh, like Jacob was known as one who wrestles with God, like Abraham who laughed when God gave him the promise. Like we read as we go further into our Bible and we open up the Psalms, like the psalmist often re- wrestles with God. We see here Moses wrestling with God. And I love the Psalms because they always bring you back to a point of yet I have faith to continue to believe. Here it's God that brings Moses back to a place of knowing he can trust in him. I think it's actually what God does on the inside of us that brings us back to a place every time of being able to trust in who he is. But sometimes we think that we've lost the plot if we have to argue with God. Sometimes we think that we've lost the plot if we come to a place where we're wrestling with what we believe or what God has said or who God calls us to 
be, but if we look at every figure in the Bible that has a call of God on their life, if we look at every great man and woman of God, there is a place where they come to a wrestling with God. There's a place where God leads them to find the truth of who he is. There's a place where they have to cry out to God and ask him to reveal himself to them. And yet we think we're on the wrong track if we're in that place this morning. We think we might have lost the plot if we're in a place where we have questions or doubts. The Bible says to, and someone quoted it this morning, cast your burdens upon the Lord. So often finding our identity, who we are, who we're called to be, feels like a burden. But instead of casting those things upon the Lord, we think that we need to come to God with some kind of empty, you know, we have to bring our, our, our words of praise and worship and adoration. We think we only have to tell God when we're feeling good about everything. And instead of bringing and casting our burdens upon the Lord, we cast them upon each other. When the Bible says to encourage one another in the Lord and cast our burdens upon him, we do the opposite. We grumble and complain to one another and we come to God with some, you know, or what's worse is so often we just refuse to go to God anymore because we feel like we haven't got it all figured out. Where I think what we need to see in every story we're, we're looking at, over and week after week we see that there are people in the Bible who God calls great men and women of faith that bring their questions, bring their concerns to God, cry out to him for him to reveal himself to them. See, Moses goes to the right place. Not like those that are created false gods for themselves. He cries out to God and says, show me more of who you are. Crazy thing about this story is that we see a group of people that God has told, he's given explicit instructions to. He has even led them to a place of finding miraculous freedom from out from under the oppression of the Egyptian empire. And they, they, they have experienced what God can do, the power of God. They've seen as, God, as uh, Moses representing God um, brings, like, you know, performs signs in the presence of the Pharaoh. There's plagues that come. There's things that have like, happened that can only be explained by the power of God. And yet they come to a place of taking the material things that they took from their old life, from their time of slavery, and form those things into idols which they worship. 
And when I look at this story, I think, why, God, would you continue with these people? Why would you continue to put up with, like, it's like, is there any hope? And yet just the next chapter's over, God gives them the instructions for building the tabernacle, which allows his presence, again, to be manifest with them. He goes to such incredible lengths, despite their faults and failings, to dwell with them. Sometimes we're at a point in our life where we think, God, why would you bother with me anymore? Why would you try again? Do you really have the grace? Could you ever look at me again with hope for my future? And yet he desires so much to dwell with each one of us. He desires so much to have your life. He desires so much to be in relationship with you that he would go to such great lengths like he did with his people in the wilderness. That even though they were stuck, see, the tabernacle, the fact that it's like, so there was the tent that they first constructed that were like temporary places for God's presence to dwell. But then when he gives the instructions for the tabernacle, this is not an overnight camp, right? If you read the instructions, he is giving them some serious construction work to do with this thing. And yet we know that he was leading them to a different place. They're stuck where they are. And God still finds a way to come and dwell with them. If you're feeling like you're stuck where you are and like you don't know how to find the way out yet, the assurance we have in this text is that God will still make a way to dwell in your situation, to be part of your life, for his presence to be made real and known to you, even when you're stuck in your wilderness place. We so often turn to other things for identity when we feel stuck or lost. In reading and uh, studying this passage, preparing for today, I open up some commentaries and uh, one of them, Walter Brueggemann, is like the Old Testament scholar to like, you know, above all Old Testament scholars. Uh, he's like the go-to guy. And, um, and so reading what he has to say uh, about this passage, uh, he was explaining that uh, the Israelite people um, ca- had come to a place where their survival depended on their identity where belonging to the people that they belonged to was inherently connected with their survival. We're not so far removed from that. Belonging, being part of or knowing who we are or who we belong to is so integral to our human flourishing, to our well-being 
and we see so much of what's going wrong in the world right now connected to either people feeling like they don't belong, feeling like they have a lack of connection, or by people finding belonging in the wrong place, with the wrong groups, the wrong motives. It's so important that we recognise where our identity is found and we're going to be talking about that this morning in terms of baptism. I find it incredible that Moses asks to see God's glory. To see God's glory. If I could only know more of who you are, God, I would understand what you're doing. So the crazy thing about this passage is that just a few verses before, in that tent of meeting, the first place they set up where God could meet with them. It's verse 11. It says, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Face to face as one speaks to a friend. And not too far down the track, he says, that I will cover and hide you in the crevice of the rock so that you don't see my face. What is going on? We know that Moses is just communicating that he recognises that there is more for him to know of who God is. God's reply when Moses asks to see his glory. He says in verse 19, I will show mercy to whom I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Mercy and compassion. He goes on to talk about his goodness and his making his name known. His glory is actually found in his compassion and goodness. And Moses had assumed there was more to be encountered. He had seen and talked to God as if it was face to face. That is what the text just before says. But his glory was to be revealed when his goodness, his grace and his mercy was shown to the world. And where do we see his goodness the goodness of God, the grace and mercy of God revealed in a saviour who was lifted up onto a cross, who poured out his life so that we could be in relationship with God. In the mercy of of a God who would go to such great lengths that he would construct a place for his presence to dwell even with a stubborn and rebellious people and in a God that would go to such great lengths that he would make a way to dwell with his people now even though we are such stubborn and rebellious people. His mercy and his goodness are where we see his glory. So is it that Moses could not see God's face 
I was always taught this passage without looking at the verses before and always told that it must surely be because God is too holy for Moses to see. But we see that he did see him face to face only a few passages before. And if we read it in its whole context, we see Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. We see that Jacob encountered God and then named the place he encountered God Peniel, which literally means I have seen the face of God. So we see people encounter God in a way that they would describe as face to face. So surely it's not that we couldn't see the face of God. There's something more to this text. And when we understand that Moses representing the law in the bigger picture of what we come to understand in the Bible, Moses represents the law, the prophets, uh, yeah, um, Elijah representing the prophets, uh, when they both stand alongside Jesus when he's transfigured and then both fade away and only Jesus is left showing us that Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. The reason Moses could not see uh, but could only see the back of God was actually because God was revealing to him that under the law, under the covenant that the people were so struggling already at this point in the text to understand, to be able to keep, God is actually revealing his mercy to Moses. God is showing him that what he has revealed in the law and showing us later that Moses representing the law, all that is tied up in the law is only a partial revelation of who God is. That's why we can open up these texts and, and sometimes they don't make entirely make sense. Sometimes it looks something like not like what we imagine God to look like because it's only a partial picture of who God is, something akin to seeing the back of God as he passes by. But we see the fullness of God revealed in Jesus. I'm going to jump to Matthew 22. And we're talking about the image of God revealed to us. And there's a text here about the image of God. So then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and you don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he, are, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me a coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked whose picture and title are stamped on it, or whose picture and inscription are stamped on it, depending on what, verse, uh, what version you're in. 
Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply amazed them and they went away. I actually like the version that says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Because to give something implies that it belongs to you and you're giving it to someone else. To render something is similar to where the word surrender comes. It's like it, it, when you render something, it's like you're giving what's rightfully theirs. When, we, when it talks about render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is created in, or what is made in his image, it's talking about giving back to God what is already rightfully his. See, the reason we talk about finding our identity in the waters of baptism is because in and through this process uh, where it speaks about uh, being in Christ, finding our identity in Christ and being baptised into the family of God, we become those who bear his image. We are created in his image, but we can choose whether our lives, like we spoke about last week, whether we're dressed for the occasion, whether we are dressed appropriately for what God has called us to do. We can choose whether we reflect who he is or not through our lives and character. And we're called as we enter into the waters of baptism to leave behind our selfish ways and the old life and to be raised into a new life that represents who he is. To become people that bear witness to who he is. Not just created in his image, but becoming bearers of his image, those who live and walk out who he is. His image made known in us. The people that had come to Jesus, they, they had an idea of how to trap Jesus. And the reason why this was so controversial The reason why this was so challenging is because either Jesus had to admit at that point that he uh, was a revolutionary trying to bring a different kind of kingdom that would overthrow the current kingdom of the day, which is no doubt what they believed him to be, or he had to, so that would get him in trouble with the Roman Empire, or he had to say, no, we must do as we're told by the Roman Empire, and that would prove to his followers that it was no kind of revolutionary that they would and should be following. And so he was in a place where one, he would have to choose one way or another. Um, the N.T. Wright commentary that I read on this text said we should be very careful of using this text to give us a definitive answer of how we sh should relate to the government because that's not at all what it's trying to explain to us. It's not saying that uh, we, um, this, this isn't a way like you can just go along with the government and be like sometimes we sort of hear it put like that but the reason why Jesus chose his response this way. It's because he was showing that his kingdom 
was completely different to that of Caesar's. So we can give our lives over to God, that we can hand over what is God's, and it was through different means to how Caesar had made his kingdom. The, the inscription and the face, obviously, on that coin, the face was Caesar. The inscription was actually son of God. It was who Caesar was claiming to be and the way that Caesar would keep control throughout the kingdom was by controlling the financial systems and through taxing and like the, the way that his and all sorts of, you know, violent implica- implications of re, re, uh, like staying in control of that. And so by giving this response, Jesus doesn't say yes or no to that system. He says, my system is different. It comes a different way. And the way that it comes, we know, is by us walking in that reality of bearing his image in the world. The way that his kingdom is realized in the world is by us beginning to be the people that he's called us to be. This is why it's so important that we find our identity in Christ and be aware of all the things that come to consume our identity that are not in Christ. Because as soon as we submit our identity to something that it not, is not of his kingdom, then we're no longer effective in being those image bearers. We're no longer effective for that task of being who he's called us to be. I'm going to ask the band to come up shortly. And those getting baptised can prepare. Keeping it short this morning. But what I want us to get a hold of right now is that whenever we form our identity in anything, and I think there's... um, is a clue we're given or like something that we should recognise in this first text in Exodus. We're so often tempted to create an image or identity out of things that are meant to be part of the old life that God meant for us to leave behind in Egypt when he called us out. Or in the New Testament version, we're so tempted to create an image out of things that look much more like Caesar's way, that look much more like the world's way. But we need to be finding our identity in Christ. This morning, four people have chosen to begin that journey of finding their identity in him, in bearing his image, in becoming part of his family. Maybe you feel like you found your identity somewhat tied up in things that God's called you to leave behind. Maybe you found that 
You have struggled to answer the questions of who I am in God. And maybe, like I did in my early years of being a Christian, even thought that it was problematic, that it was wrong to ask those questions, that it was a lack of faith, when really God was just calling me into a place of going deeper in understanding who he was, in understanding who I was called to be. Don't let those questions lead you to a place of finding comfort in old ways, but rather draw you to a place of finding out who God is, seeing his face, seeing his glory. And we know we have the advantage of being this side of the New Testament and understanding that he is revealed to us in who Jesus is. He didn't just send up a tent of meeting or a tabernacle or a temple for his presence to dwell with us but he went to such great lengths to allow us to be able to be carriers of his presence that he could dwell with each one of us see calling you this morning to a place of finding your identity in him and not other things? Is he calling you this morning to a place of growing in your understanding of who you are, of who he is? Before we share communion this morning and before we invite these people to come and be baptised this morning, I want to offer you an opportunity to respond. Would you all close your eyes with me for a moment, church? And just consider right now, where is your identity found? What do you identify as when you step out into the world? Who are you? to those you encounter? What is the most important thing you want people to know about you? What are you most willing to invest your time, your energy in sharing with people around you? I'd suggest that your identity is tied up in some of those things. There is a difference, church, between knowing who you are and being found in Christ as who you are, who he created you to be. And finding our identity in things, in places, in systems of this world that are not of God. Sometimes we find our identity and we're tempted to find our identity in things that are man-made, that are not God's creation in you, but rather things that we've decided, 
We find our identity in success. We find our identity in position. We find our identity even in where, where we're from, where we're born, in um, our national identity. I love the song that we sing, uh, Let There Be Light. It says, there's no borders in your love. Every person is created equal by God. And so those things that we find identity and if our identity is found in a place of believing that we're better or something about us is better than others, we need to recognize and repent. Understanding that God created all of us equal. If your identity is founded on feeling the need to be better than someone else, I can assure you it's not found yet in Christ. When we find our identity in Christ, there is no need to draw lines between us and others. There's no need to identify ourselves as better than anyone else or or less than anyone else. But we recognize that we're all God's children. As you consider that this morning, is there anyone here this morning, every eye still closed, Is there anyone here that knows that they need to accept Jesus? They know they need to find their identity in him this morning. Is there anyone here who knows they need to make that right? Maybe you feel your identity has been tied up in other things or maybe you've just never submitted your life to him. Is there anyone else this morning? Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful God, that you are a God of goodness and grace, that you would make space for us, that you would continually call us back to yourself, that even when we find our identity tied up in things that are not of you, God, we pray that you would reveal to us, you would make clear to us who you're calling us to be, that you love each and every one. You've created them individually, uniquely, that the things that you have placed in them are of you and that you would give us eyes to see that which is not of you and be able to leave it behind. Oh, we thank you that you draw each one of us to yourself, that we could find our identity in you and that you place us in a family, that you have called us children of God and that alongside each other we belong, we find that place that we need to be. 
We surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.